so this wall, this kind of timeline of my past self, then wrapped the walls as these large pieces you had to walk around or walk over became uh, very prominent in the installation. And those pieces were all comprised of ripping up old prints, prints that I liked actually, prints that I'd held on to for a while. And I just said, uh, hell with it. I've just got to, I've got to like cut the ties and I've got to own this new role and I've got to figure it out. And I just started ripping things up and piecing them, seaming them back together with new paper. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 212th episode, I'm excited to be joined by Lisa Lofgren, who is a printmaker and installation artist originally from out west in the Wyoming area, and she migrated into the Midwest, so we're very excited to have her on. We're going to talk all about process and how her work has changed over the years and exploring landscape through photography and a number of different printmaking practices and how that's all been kind of shaken up, so Please stay tuned for that. Again, really great discussion coming up. And just a quick reminder that you can check out her work at lisalofgren.com. And she also has a show up right now at Lincolnland Community College in the James S. Murray Gallery. The show is titled What It Was, and it runs through March 7th. But there is a reception Tuesday, March 5th from 530 to 730. So if you're in the central Illinois area, be sure to check it out and talk to Lisa about her work. If this is your first time checking out Studio Break, I do want to encourage you to visit studiobreak.com. I've got a big archive, again, 212 episodes, each of those with interviews with the artists as well as links to their website so you can find out more information. If you enjoy the podcast, again, you can easily subscribe by hitting that iTunes link button, so be sure and do that. You can, of course, find us in a number of social media formats, so be sure and like our Facebook page. You can, of course, find us on Twitter at Studio Break and on Instagram at Studio underscore Break, so be sure to check in, say hello, and with those quick announcements out of the way, here is our interview with Lisa Lofgren. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break, Lisa Lofgren. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, again, it's great to kind of catch up. We were just reminiscing. We met back in 2007 when you were a BFA student at the University of Wyoming. So pretty crazy. Yeah, I think so too. And how these little uh, little connections keep uh, popping up here too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, again, it'll be kind of interesting to to hear how that journey went, you know, and again, always really fun when I can kind of really go back in time, right? So just to kind of get a little bit of clarity about your background, you, you grew up then in, in Wyoming then? Yeah, I grew up in a small town uh, called Buffalo, Wyoming, where uh, I had 25 jogs north to Montana. So I have a lot of family in Wyoming and Montana. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And so kind of growing up, was there a lot of, you know, access to art and kind of, you know, exploring that creative side of your life? I was, I guess, kind of a jock growing up. We we did a lot of outdoor activities and kind of uh, sports net. So I didn't 
do a lot of the creative opportunities. But I will say for this little tiny town of 3,500 people, there was a lot available that I just didn't really know about until until really I got into high school and I started really getting interested mm-hmm. in making. And that's when I a lot of my friends started getting more serious about music. I have a lot of friends that are still artists, gone on to be a professional artist as well. And so it's a, a great group of us that really kind of got in the the small art scene that was Buffalo, Wyoming. (laughs) And uh, yeah, and it's a pretty thriving area. Now I, with, you mentioned UCross Foundation being close by and um, other residencies that are really prominent in the area that bring artists, international artists into these little tiny towns. Well, and again, it's an interesting area, you know, again, kind of being landlocked or, I guess see this will be something that's totally edited out because what does that even mean? I feel like I'm talking about <laughs> landlocked. What are we? What what the hell? Um, <laughs> so well, again, it just it's so weird. Kind of you know, growing up in the Midwest, I just have such a different idea of landscape. So having kind of been out there myself, oh, yeah. and you know, you know, considering that I was in you know um, Laramie for chunks of time and you know did residencies at Gentel you know it's just such an interesting and kind of mysterious you know part of the country so I'm always maybe kind of jealous that I I didn't grow up where you know you could see these big majestic mountains and huge skies and things like that oh yeah it really changed my perspective and quite literally but also in in thinking about how I view my work now it's really hugely stems from that that mountain landscape, very different than kind of a, an eastern dense forest. It, you, you can still get to places where you can see out of the trees. It's not a dense covering and it's, it really changes your idea of, of just the grandeur of where you are and, and what, what you are. That mm-hmm. sounds silly to say, but I feel like I'm in a big, you know, just congestion here. So to kind of be in a a position where you feel really tiny is such an important thing to kind of experience, you know? Yes. Well, so again, you're kind of describing, you know, more athletic kind of background, kind of growing up and until high school. Was there any kind of particular class or experience that kind of, you know, made you think twice, I guess, in terms of, oh, you know, like this is actually something I really enjoy? Yeah, well, my brother was always the artist growing up. And so I just really felt like I that wasn't uh, my natural inclination. And then I took a survey class in my freshman year of high school. And I remember one distinct piece. And let's see if I can describe it a little bit, because I'm sure lots of people have made this style of work where you make two drawings and then you slice them up vertically and then create sort of an accordion out of it. So from one angle, it's the one drawing, and from another angle, it's a different drawing. It's kind of a, a silly example, but I, I remember distinctly spending so much time making that piece. It had to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And I felt an amazing sense of accomplishment afterwards, and I 
felt like that was the moment where I knew this was substantial. This was something more for myself. And whenever I wasn't in sports, I was hanging out in the, in the art building. We had a lot of friends that were really great, great, uh, support in there as well. So we just really kind of latched on to each other. And, and then I, I ended up pursuing it in college at the University of Wyoming, like you said, but I had no intentions of staying in it. So <laughs> it's interesting, you know. And also, I mean, one of those things where, like, I think it's incredible to think about how unfocused I was, but to kind of be able to work on something that's physically in front of me like just always kind of appealed to me, you know, like again, kind of like trying to do a math proof, not so good, but like, you know, being able to sand something to perfection, you know, or just something super mundane like that. Yes. You know, just like a stupid task that you know that if you work hard enough, it'll amount to something. So that's really kind of interesting. Yeah. It may, it makes me feel, look back on all of the prior instances too, where I really showed my my desire to be a maker, uh, all the way back to when I had a little basket for egg babies <laughs> and I stayed up all night long. I, I didn't even sleep a wink trying to sew the most perfect little bassinet and blanket and pillows out of an old skirt. <laughs> and I thought, you know, all, all of these little instances that I, um, I can kind of recall into being the beginning of of what is now my passion yeah so to kind of think about the start of that kind of college career then were you kind of going in with a particular angle like you're going to be an illustrator or you know you want to teach you know or anything like that or did it kind of come through taking gen eds and you know kind of thinking like oh i could i could do fine art I pursued art because I could get a scholarship and I wanted the opportunity also to travel and the art department at UW had and still has a nice, nice summer opportunities to study abroad. And so I went into art thinking, well, this will buy me a little time until I can figure out what I want to do. I'm pretty sure I want to be a biologist. Mm -hmm. So I'll take all of these biology classes and the dilemma with not recognizing that I wanted to pursue art was that I spent at that point still all my time in the art building. And so to take, to try to pour myself into other classes, it just wasn't happening. <laughs> and as someone who really kind of had pride in being a good student in high school to start seeing my grades drop in other classes was just a little terrifying. Mm -hmm. I couldn't figure out what was going on. I feel a little dense saying that, but I, it took me until my junior year to really kind of buckle down on saying, Oh, Oh, look, my professors are doing this. I can totally be a professional artist and I can do lots of things. And that's when I said that uh, I wasn't going to pursue anything else, that this was it. And 
it was already what I'd been pursuing. So I didn't lose any time as far as schooling goes, but I, I was able to embrace it and kind of own it in a very new way. And that was, that was a game changer for me. Well, and again, going back to that time that we met, I mean, again, I was doing a visiting artist, probably really poor talk and (laughs) visit and all that. Um, You know, but again, like I was saying to you, I mean, again, I remember at the time, you know, looking at your work and, you know, thinking about, you know, themes of nature and, you know, you were working in print and, you know, again, color was something that was very kind of significant. Uh Is that kind of like what your, your thought process was or in terms of exploring art at the time, you know, where you, where you kind of were in terms of that experience and in terms of pursuing mostly print and that type of work, or were there other things that were kind of, you know, engaging you too? Yeah. It's, it's funny to bring back the, the memory of, of meeting with you when you were a visiting artist at Utah, because I was really at a pivotal point of just feeling like my work was failing completely. I wanted to make landscape paintings, prints, but I didn't want them to be landscapes. And I couldn't figure out what that meant. And so I was constantly making, making, making with just this continued frustration and just total sense of failure. And I I was trying to work between printmaking and ceramics at that point. And I, my ceramic work was just, I was trying to do all of these conceptual things with very little skill set. And I just was not getting there. And I just felt at that point, like something had to change there was going to be a dramatic shift happening. But of course, being a young workaholic, you just, I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel at that point. It was just all, it was just all bad. Everything that I was doing was bad. And what happened that changed that for me was just kind of sitting back and (laughs) I guess reevaluating what I had done. So at that point, I had done quite a a smorgasbord of odds and ends of things because I was completing assignments and I was completing this very academic style of learning and just on the verge of discovering my, you know, personal voice as an artist. And I felt like um, I had two solo exhibitions that concluded my time as a BFA student at UW. And I felt like they they both played off of one another, but they were exactly what I needed to start seeing the bigger picture. And in my mind, it was how to make this landscape and these past experiences and and different kinds of travels that I'd taken advantage of all start talking to one another. And that's what has continued to stick with me through my work is how to take disparate elements and start to link them visually, conceptually, formally, and how that became the link to um, 
experience and uh, a better, deeper, more holistic understanding that it's not just the landscape I was getting to. It was all the bits and pieces that added up to this really profound experience that I wanted to convey. And that's what I feel like I'm still working towards today. Yeah, again, it's really interesting because I see all of that and all of the work, especially that's, I guess I'm putting air quotes out there, but you know, all the work that's current even, you know, there's there's this nice um, exploration with variety in there. And so to kind of think about it in, in terms of, you know, that, that wrapping up that experience, I'm, I'm just curious because it seems like, again, you've got such a wealth of you know, teaching print experience. And like I had mentioned earlier, you know, working at UCross and all these other things, I'm, I'm kind of curious and it's never come up, but um, how did you wind up finding yourself going to Illinois State University? And was that oh, yeah. a, a direct route or was there time in between? Or <laughs> I had a year between, I was fortunate that I was able to graduate early from the University of Wyoming, and that allowed me my kind of, uh, I guess you could say, final semester as just no classes. I just made work. I was just in the studio all the time. And then the year after that, um, I'd already had those two solo shows that I felt were finally amounting to something, and I stayed to do a post-baccalaureate there, uh, which is another kind of nice set of freedoms where I could just really embrace maintaining a studio practice and using the facility without having to invest in a bunch of credits that I really didn't need. During that time, too, I uh, was able to take on uh, the interim position as the art mobile curator for the University of Wyoming Art Museum mm -hmm. and traveled around the state doing these impromptu shows with amazing collection of works and then had a little traveling printing press that I could do print workshops alongside this discussion of art, whether it was with elementary school or a community center. I was able to really embrace this love I had for sharing artwork. And that was transformative. But it was, you know, had to come to an end. I, I as the interim curator, uh, the the lady I was filling in for came back to work and and I was able to do other things at the art museum. But that's when I decided to really apply for grad school, that I was ready to take on something different, go someplace different. And if I was accepted, then I would I would do it. I would leave. And and that ISU became a forerunner in that conversation because I also needed funding to do that. So the idea of going to college that didn't provide funding or that where you had to compete against your peers for funding was not that appealing to me. And, and that being 2008, 2009, was right at a peak where a lot of schools were have, seeing huge cuts in funding. Mm -hmm. So it was just right, right and left. I was applying to places that had funding that I'd confirmed through different means that they had funding available. And then it was just evaporating. And so my 
selections were just continuing to be more and more limited and not not in a bad way, but just in a way where I was able to look at ISU and know right away that I wanted to pursue that. And there were really three key factors in that. And one was um, Normal Editions Workshop, the master printing studio that is held within the uh, printmaking facilities at ISU. I had been looking at their book that they'd published for you know a year, two years prior to coming to ISU. So I was familiar with what they had done and, and couldn't believe that I could have the opportunity to go there. And then um, I knew the faculty would be really exceptional. And there were a couple of people, uh, Sarah Smelser, Richard Finch, and Jim Butler, who I had admired their work and what they'd accomplished. Jim Butler retired the year that I came to school, so that was a little unfortunate, but nonetheless, it was still a great experience. And then third, they offered to pay to pay for, to fund your schooling. And so it seemed like this perfect route to be able to get what I needed and what I wanted all wrapped into one nice package and experience a whole new place. And, and then I was accepted and that's how I decided to come here and see what the three years in the Midwest would, would lead to. (laughs) And and again, it's really interesting because, you know, you talked a little bit about this kind of relationship with landscape and kind of not really knowing exactly what you wanted from it, or at least like how to depict it. And I would imagine yeah. then, you know, yeah. that that was something that was a real focus in terms of starting there. Yeah. And, and again, just kind of knowing so many of the faculty and their strengths, I would imagine that there are so many great people to you know, kind of resonate with and to, and to talk to about how to develop that in your work. So yes. I, I'm especially curious and what, what happened, what changed? Um, and again, we can kind of dive into all sort of different processes and things, but. So I think a lot of people that go through MFA programs could say something similar, but I, I had a really pivotal second year where I I made a lot of breakthroughs. The first year of grad school, I made a lot of stuff, but it was just, I felt like cathartic, just kind of spitting it out, just getting it out of the system. I'm in the studio all the time. I'm talking about my work all the time, and it's just moving faster than I can really understand it. And uh, the second year, I, I slowed down a lot, and I started understanding a little bit more about what printmaking could do for me. And I, I fell in love with printmaking right when I made my first terrible, terrible woodcut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just knew that this kind of craftsmanship and work, this kind of labor and labor and labor over one little element uh, was perfect for me. But I didn't know exactly exactly conceptually what it, it was adding. And, and that's something that was nice to, to really discover in my process, how all of these little parts lead to a bigger whole or how this reflective imagery can start laying out these very 
striking, you know, symmetries that I can start working with. So how do we start using the kind of core of printmaking to a conceptual advantage? And I felt like that was a really rich discussion for me because I, I didn't want to just say, I love printmaking. I love the work. I love the process. I mean, we can, as printmakers, it's like, yeah, we all do. <laughs> but um, but what does that add to the work, to the, the finished pieces themselves? And I, I felt like I really w- was able to take the time to embrace a lot of those, the multiplicity that uh, was so fruitful in building not only larger pieces for myself, but building upon this content in the work. I'm curious then too, is that something that kind of also kind of was enhanced by research or, you know, looking at particular artists that you felt were kind of doing that or peers? I mean, it's always interesting to me because I, I always wonder, you know, what, what other kind of things we don't know, you know, like when we think about even those kind of big impactful moments in our own work that maybe other people don't kind of necessarily see. And for me, it was weird because I was, you know, I mean, again, I felt like I was in a, super abstract school. And then here I'm all these years later and I feel like this, um, (laughs) this hesitant representational painter, you know, because of my history or something like that. Yeah. So, (laughs) yeah, I would say that uh, my process is very tied to a lot of art historical references. And I sometimes unabashedly steal a lot of those references and I kind of hope a lot of people do as well because if you can't steal from the masters then where is it coming from but Mm -hmm. I love some of the you know iconic Japanese printmakers and that's really where a lot of my aesthetic comes from are these subtle shifts in layering and so Hokusai plays into that and then you can move up another (laughs) few decades to uh, Helen Frankenthaler who really to me was someone who could uh, she did do prints a little almost reluctantly but she she made some really stunning works that I felt were the best abstraction of this landscape that I was looking for and these kind of moments that come out within these larger planes of of you know sweeping color and I felt like uh, she was constantly a source but there's one significant person that I'll reference in talking about the the labor of printmaking and that's Botticelli and that may sound kind of funny but the idea of having these these stories within the landscape that are made up by these very stamp-like elements, all painstakingly painted into the scene, but they look like the same little piece over and over and over, whether it's a flower on the ground that seems like it's kind of the same flower over and over again with subtle changes or an orange in the orange tree. Any of these little tiny details that start looking 
like these small repetition of form that really started speaking to me as how some of the masters could have used printmaking to start saying something similar. So I, I feel like there's some people that really stuck with me. And, and I'll elaborate a little bit on this too, because thinking of this art historical context, I made a series of work that was these draped pieces of paper that formed these kimonos. And this was about two and a half years ago. Mm -hmm. well, I guess closer to three years ago now. Uh, so this kimono series that I was felt kind of like that, that I was back in grad school, just working all night, staying, having these large extended luxurious chunks of time where I could just make and make and make. And I was carving these five foot blocks to make these. So I was really physical mm -hmm. and I was hand printing it all. So again, it was really an effort to do these pieces. And I had, and I don't know if it was just because I was lacking sleep, but I had <laughs> a lot of these very visceral connections to this prior making in that same way that I was, I really felt deeply that I was coming from directly from this lineage of makers who continued this scientific sort of practice of exploring the world in a visual sense. And, and I not only linked that to art history, but I was trying to also uh, link that to this idea of passing on research from one generation to the next and how looking at these artworks so intently really led me to feel like I was carrying the torch. I was really picking up their research and diving into it again, of course, through my own lens, but still directly coming from them. And that that really changed my my whole sense of connection to art history and and my place within this that conversation so it's interesting because again there's kind of like this ownership then of kind of trying to being able to imbue all of those ideas in your work and then it's interesting for me too because I would think that, you know, some of the other processes that you started utilizing, like installations and other formats, aside from what people might typically think of as just, you know, like a flat print, you frame it. I, I would imagine all of those things kind of feed then kind of the processes that you use now, which, again, can kind of inhabit like a wide array of, of different types of, of print, but then also installation that might even combine sculptural elements and, yes. again, a, a lot more physicality too that would probably be able to help the other works kind of all feed into that energy I guess. So I work currently down at the university galleries of ISU. That's a new position that I'm very fortunate to have but that drive to work there is stemmed from this very strong curatorial desire. So I think a lot of those installation works and such came about because I could walk into some of those spaces and, and really envision how someone, how I want someone to flow through this space and understand this, this story on, on a timeline of, 
of walking through that space. And I, I think it's very different when I don't see the space or I haven't been there to get a feel for that. But I, I do think that, um, I thrive off of that initial vision of what the show should be. And sometimes it comes and sometimes it doesn't, but when I'm able to, to kind of hone in on that end goal, I use printmaking and drawing and collage as a way to get there. And that happens in so many different ways. And that's a nice thing. I'd like to say um, I've allowed myself to dive into more since grad school is that idea that it doesn't just have to be this single layer, beautifully printed piece. It can be dirtier and raw and have a lot of different elements to it that are all add up to what I'm trying to say. And as long as I'm I'm using those tools strategically, I feel like I'm really been able to accomplish a lot more through thinking of it more as an installation. I don't know whether how I feel about that, but I also feel like um, that's right now that's where my pursuits lie. And and to be specific too, so that we can actually talk about something. And of course, people should check out, you know, your website, Lisa Lofgren, you know, they can see there's plenty of images to kind of go, you know, really further in depth. I like to say research instead of deep dive, because I think that's a garbage, garbage term. So (laughs) be sure to research, you know, Lisa's work. But, um, you know, there's this, there's this installation slash, you know, show entitled A Language Beyond Joy. And again, I think that might be a nice way to kind of highlight some of those things. It's almost like too, but kind of including these more three-dimensional, it kind of brings that that idea of a landscape into the, the viewer's kind of like space, you know, so that there's this, not just this distant kind of reaction, but like something that almost becomes a little bit more playful too. So yeah, how did, how did that come about? I mean, again, maybe kind of walk us through the process to, to kind of get how you might plan for a, a, do you get that space? And then it's like, what am I going to do with it? Or yeah, uh, actually, so that, that's a great example (laughs) of what I was just talking about, because I knew right when I thought, I, uh, about applying for a show in that space, exactly what I wanted to happen in there. And I maybe didn't have a, all of the details figured out, but I knew how it was going to lay out and I knew what I needed to accomplish. And so that work, as far as the thematically or content behind it, the, the goal was to talk about something that both had a relevance to, I had just given birth to my daughter. And so I had a a lot of time at home and a lot of time in this kind of delusional state of sleep and no sleep, rest, no rest, just a whole, it was very confusing time. Mm -hmm. It was great, but it was a very confusing time (laughs) for me. So I'll bring up that. So the aspect of becoming a mother and trying to figure that whole role out. And then 
I was also had spent a couple of summers working on an organic vegetable farm that my counterpart has worked on. This will be his 15th season. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I felt very strongly that I understood this farm specific farming practice in a whole new way while I was pregnant and after I gave birth. So, of course, that Mother Earth cycle kind of fed into that that idea of being becoming a mother, mm-hmm. uh, generally speaking. And then I was reading as I was home in these very intimate, cozy places with my daughter. I was reading a lot of Rumi's writings, and I started writing down all of the passages that involved the moon. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I didn't know quite why, but a part of it was this new discovery of being up at night a lot. And so it was a very strange sense of just feeling like this thin window separation between that nightness and myself was constantly present and I I think I I just really felt it in in a deeper way than I than I gave myself credit for at the time but I started compiling then all of these little roomy writings a language from beyond joy comes directly from one of the writings. I can't take credit for um, <laughs> any of the titles of the works because they all came from the you know readings and such. All of it just seemed to form this one cohesive thought, which was our experience leads us in so many places, <laughs> this room full of all of these experiences I'd had in my life, all of these images that I'd taken. It was about 45 pieces that wrapped the wall. And I felt like that part of me died when I became a mother. And it was very kind of tragic to say that, but it was also just something I was learning to acknowledge and deal with and figure out. Mm-hmm. And so the other work, so this wall, this kind of timeline of my past self, then wrapped the walls as these large pieces you had to walk around or walk over became uh, very prominent in the installation. And those pieces were all comprised of ripping up old prints. Mm-hmm. Prints that I liked, actually, prints that I'd held on to for a while. And I just said, uh, hell with it. I've just got to I've got to like cut the ties and I've got to own this new role and I've got to figure it out. And I just started ripping things up and piecing them, seaming them back together with new paper. So there's very little glue that actually holds these pieces together. It's the fibers of the new paper that's bonding with the fibers of the old prints that are forming these very precarious and very, you know, loose connections through these one piece is 22 feet long. And then the, there's a trio of works that suspend from the ceiling that's, that are nine feet long each. And, and those, are this kind of building or these connections from ground 
upward or in this lengthy piece that you have to cross the threshold to get into the gallery. You have to cross over this piece, uh, step over it. That is kind of this bond of kind of breaking through this connection of myself and my daughter. So in that way, I really needed these vessel elements. So I invited a couple of artists to make work for that purpose. And and I felt like it it revealed itself nicely in the end that, that a lot of the intention I wanted to come across was was evident and I, I felt like it was a show that I could continue to build off of. But and this in so many ways there was not a way to do that because I'd kind of ripped up everything I could build off of. I was starting something very new. And so the process of using these photographic elements from my past that I've taken in, in different places, um, different travels, different hikes all over the place have uh, still inform a lot of the process of what I'm doing currently. I think it's interesting to kind of take all this work and then kind of, you know, transform it into this this new thing and, and to kind of consider the life circumstances of how that, you know, can turn into a show and, and manifest. And so I think it's interesting to think too then, you know, maybe about the more specific 2D print-based works. You're just alluding to, you know, these kind of photographic references or these references to landscape. And I'm especially kind of interested in thinking about, you know, how that process works then in, in terms of your current print-based work. Is it something that then is kind of informed from more photographs or sketches? And then maybe we can talk a little bit about, you know, the processes that you use, because it looks like, again, there's multiple different print processes and collage that are kind of incorporated. A couple of things come to mind when, when you ask me that question. One is, I'd, I'm happy to talk more about the <laughs> process because I love it. Mm -hmm. But the other is just the kind of change that's happened for me in the studio over the last year. I'll talk about the change first, actually, because that kind of has led me to this process. But uh, the change being my time is committed in different ways. And the idea of having even a day here and there in the studio is kind of non-existent right now. And when I was making the work even just a year ago, A Language from Beyond Joy, and I just completed a month prior to opening that show, I had installed a show in Colorado that was mostly new work, and I was very prolific. And uh, so now I have a toddler, and I know it's so tacky to just throw that in there, but I'm experiencing my time crunch and my commitment to the studio so differently. And I um, am working primarily only at night. And so I may come in for a couple hours. I may come in for a longer chunk of time, but then I pay for it for the next day and mm -hmm. the day after that. And so I, I have to keep a steadiness to it. it. It can't really ebb and flow. It has to be consistent or else it, nothing seems to progress. It's mm -hmm. really frustrating that way. So what I've been doing then jumping into process is uh, starting to 
get some kind of graphic or bolder pieces established that maybe don't have any an initial aim. They don't have a goal in mind, which is very new for me, very different. Mm -hmm. Some of it's old pieces, pieces that have just kind of lingered completely unfinished in the studio for a while. And some of it's with the intention of, you know, working on at a later date. But then I'm, I'm trying to then expand upon those, that variety. And so instead of starting a body of work like I usually did in the past that all had kind of the same starting point, mm -hmm. you know, starting with a drawing and then adding a collagraph and then adding a woodcut and then adding this fine intaglio line. I threw that out the window. And and now I'm, I'm really looking at processes that are fairly immediate and involve a little less labor, which has been hard because I love the labor. And um, so I've been turning lately, thanks to a kind and amazing artist friend, LJ Douglas. She was really uh, inspiring and in getting me going in this toner transfer process that I've really got a, a better handle on with this last show where I can take these, you know, printouts, go to town on a copy machine and just start making all of these pieces and parts and fragments of photographs. And I can flip them, I can mirror them, I can do positive negative reversal, I can just spend some time immediately getting variety. And in this way, I've also been able to get variety of the same thing. So before in my work, I was doing a lot of translational symmetries where I was really taking the same thing and flipping it and spinning it and doing um, as many things as I can with that one stencil or that one shape to get something new and exciting to happen in each piece, this whole new discovery. And that same kind of thing has now been happening rather immediately on a copier mm -hmm. and then cutting those pieces and parts out and starting to lay those out in ways that build upon themselves. So again, talking back about all of these smaller pieces leading up to the bigger whole. And I know that's also a little bit of a cliche to say, but it's really truly where a lot of the the foundation of planning starts was is with all of these smaller elements that start building and building up and and I'd gone through and just made this compiled an archive of all of these photographs of rocks that I had been taking through the last decade of my life and starting to use these as little portraits of place and and past experience and all these specific locations that come to mind and then cutting them up and rearranging them in ways that they are kind of formally prominent in these pieces. And some ways you recognize the rock formation and some ways they just become this flowing design element. And I've been really enjoying using this process to kind of bring in uh, something that is a little bit more identifiable in this sea of abstraction. And 
that to me is if we if I kind of link back to the beginning of the conversation uh, in that breaking point during my BFA time where I was trying to go beyond the landscape, it was like these this is a nice example of how I'm trying to grapple with that currently is this is the landscape, but it's becoming more than the landscape and it's becoming deeper recollection of my past throughout all of these various works. And I'm really pushing myself in each piece to solve it in a new way. And I feel like this exhibition, though I don't consider it an installation, they're all individual pieces that are made up of this this show. Um, is a really nice way to tie together this idea of bridging the new and the old work together and thinking about, well, in the title, this idea of what is, was, about how things may feel and seem so different, but they remain the same. There are so many constants within that. I think in many ways I saw this show as a labor in itself of just needing to make work just forcing myself to be in the studio longer and more in-depth ways than I maybe physically should have, but I loved it and I, I needed it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and one of the things that I really love about it too is the, the color is so, I don't know how to describe it. You know, there's kind of like a quietness to it, but then, through all the layering, there's just like these wonderful kind of pop. Oh yeah. And so for, for some areas that you almost kind of read into this, and again, that's just from my perspective, but almost kind of like almost that idea of like a past or something that's remembered. And then these other elements that are kind of like, you know, intertwined in it. Yeah. I like hearing you say that color is something that I am trying to push more in my work over the last two years in particular. I feel like I've really, tried not to shy away from getting a little bolder. Mm-hmm. And is that something that kind of comes from just, you know, that, that process of working through it, or is it something where you're trying to really consciously, you know, just bring that, that punch, you know? Yeah. The latter for sure. I'm really trying to get a little bit more variety in, in this. I think it's kind of bringing a, a, a beauty or, and, and I don't like using that word necessarily, but real attraction to the piece. And I find myself often drifting towards subtlety. And so it it really has been a conscious effort to push subtlety to still exist, but then have something that really is a striking contrast to that. And that might come through color, that might come through a bold pattern, or a very abrupt shift in in some of the imagery, I do feel like uh, the the need to push those subtle and strong relationships. I'm trying to force that to happen, both of those things to happen within the work. So, and that's something too that you know, obviously, kind of seeing them close. I'm assuming too you kind of have all these things that kind of become revealed, you know? Yeah. There's kind of like this almost fogginess or, you know, something that you might not realize in terms of all the layering. But I would imagine then, again, just that that subtlety with color just kind of really gets, you know, highlighted as as you kind of are able to kind of really get close and, and look at these pieces. Yeah. 
Yes. And the uh, flexibility, I'll say, in being able to use this toner transfer process, I can have the, you know, one image, the same thing printed out five times and cut that up in different ways and print those layers on each other in ways that are um, really starting to enhance a lot of the subtlety of the form while still getting some really unusual edges and contrast happening between this one, say, even if it's just one rock that can then have all these different facets of color just by being able to cut that Xerox sheet up in so many ways. So the process has really allowed me to, I think, work through a lot of those, the challenges of keeping keeping the variety of color happening. I think that's really kind of exciting too. You know, you've kind of abandoned things and, you know, there's been a lot of restarts, you know, almost like, you know, just kind of rebuilding or, yeah. you know, thinking about how something could kind of be new. You know, you can do your thing and then there's just this, this stuff that can be kind of fun, you know, this experiment that yeah. you're not sure yeah. about. So, you know, it seems like, again, that that's something that is very much embraced in, in terms of the way that you're kind of working to kind of allow yourself to, you know, just, hey, maybe this will work, you know, let's see how this kind of affects yeah. that process. Well, that's the fun of being in the studio. Um, and that's the play, the, the really just the ability to take all these different parts and see what happens. And uh, I, I say that loosely, but I also mean it in that I have, you know, built a, a set of tools to be able to predict some things, but I I really enjoy some of the things that are more unpredictable that happen. And I really, I've consistently said that I love play in my work, but I'm really seeing that in a whole different light when it comes to thinking about the newness of play and watching that happen in this two-year-old girl and being able to kind of try to embrace a little bit more of a less rigid style of working. And I never really thought I was that rigid before now, but this recent body of work uh, really has been a very loose, playful, gestural kind of way of being able to get something accomplished in, uh, you know, in the allotted time that I have this shortened condensed, I'll say kind of time. Yeah. I, I I'd say, <laughs> yeah. so just remind everybody too. So, you know, where can they see this exhibition that's currently up and, and then give us some dates and locations and all that good stuff. The James S. Murray gallery is at Lincoln land community college. That's at 5250 shepherd road. Uh, in Springfield, Illinois. And the reception will be Tuesday, March 5th from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. I'll be attending that and attending screen printing class later to do a little demo. And the exhibition is currently open and goes through March 7th. So it'll, it'll be down before I know it here. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and remind everybody too. So where can they find your work? Obviously, you know, your website, oh, yeah. all your social media stuff that we're all infatuated oh, yeah. with at this point. <laughs> 
Well, I have to um, plug my space. So my uh, incredibly talented partner, Matt Erickson, runs Come Together Space, which is a, a venue for all sorts of good things to happen. I'm just a really kind of art fun house where I am fortunate to have my studio, which I call Together Press. And uh, this is not regularly open, but a place that we constantly welcome visitors. People aren't around to see my work, then uh, getting onto my Instagram at Lisa Lofgren Studio or onto my uh, website, lisalofgrenstudio.com. I'm pretty open to any kind of conversation and, and revealing about my process. I'm not secretive about any of it. So if anybody has any thoughts or questions, I'd love to hear them. Yeah. Again, I apologize. I feel like this should really be like a four hour ordeal at times because there's so many oh. <laughs> little things that we kind of barely scratch the surface. Yeah. Um, again, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time. It's been so awesome catching up and learning about your work and, and to see where it's at now. And again, just all, all the change, you know, so again, thanks so much for taking the time. Well, thanks for reaching out to me. I, I appreciate it more than I can say, and I uh, look forward to keeping up with your work as well. Thanks once again, Elisa, for joining me. Be sure and check out her exhibition, What It Was, at Lincolnland Community College at the James S. Murray Gallery. Again, opening reception March 5th. 5.30 to 7.30 p.m., and that show runs through March 7th. If you can't make it out, be sure and check out our website, lisalofgren.com. If you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did, I hope that you go to studiobreak.com and check out some of the archived episodes that we have. Again, over 200 and some episodes, all there for your listening pleasure. You can listen right in the default player. You can click those links so that you can check out more work by the artists. And you can also hit that iTunes hyperlink and subscribe to the podcast. It's a great way to stay up to date when new podcasts come out. And, of course, if you like listening there, please do us a huge favor and leave us some comments, some feedback there to help others find this podcast. You can, of course, do that by spreading the word. We really appreciate it. So help us get the word out about Studio Break and some of the artists we've had. And you get some karma points for the studio. So that's always a plus, right? Be sure and follow Studio Break in our social media. Of course, you can like our Facebook page and stay up to date there. You can find us on Twitter at Studio Break and, of course, on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. Be sure and join the conversation. It's great to hear from listeners. Again, quick shout-out to Taro Takazawa Art on Instagram. Again, it's a lot of fun making this podcast to be a studio companion, so you got something to listen to to keep your brain sharp thinking about art. So glad that you enjoy it. Let me take a second to thank Skylar Mail, who provides the music to Studio Break. You can check out his artwork at SkylarMail.net. If, of course, you'd like to see some of my recent paintings, you can visit DavidLinaway.com. And be sure to find me on Facebook. Say hello. You can also find me on Instagram and follow me there at DavidLinaway and on Twitter at DavidLinaway. So be sure and hit me up. Hope that you enjoy today's podcast. We'll talk to you real soon.